Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Hey, friends, I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and we are Georgia Baptist Discipleship. Thank you for engaging with us today, and we want to give some free product away, so make sure that you leave a comment below. Let us know where you're watching from. Also, if you find this beneficial, we really hope that you'll share this to your personal page or to a group page where you uh, other disciple makers may be, because we want to maximize impact of what we're sharing through the gospel as we make disciple makers across the world. Also, let me say just a word of thank you to those of you who are giving to the cooperative program, because the free product we give to you is not free. It costs us something to get that or to create it. And we're able to give that to you because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you so much for doing that. Now we're talking about the greatest church principle that I've ever learned. <clears throat> I call it the watershed principle. And we must um, talk about these streams here. What we've done is identified the six um, streams in the church life that need to be healthy for the church to be healthy. Now, those six streams in the watershed principle are balance, reach, teach, serve, multiply, and lead. Today, we're talking about the third one, which is teach. And we are moving people from information to transformation. This is that third layer. Now, the goal of teaching, friends, listen, it's not just receiving information um, but experience in transformation. So the goal is, is uh, in our life that we're not just trying to give people a cerebral knowledge, which is good, by the way, because we want them to hear, to interact with their mind as they're reading the Word of God. And we trust that when we read God's Word, Isaiah 55, that it's not going to return void to us. So don't hear me say that it's not good to read the Word of God, because we believe that reading and marinating on God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual diet. Now, in my lifetime, connection has become a, a buzzword. We've got connect groups, we have connect classes, we, we want people to connect in the church. Listen, the church I came from, our new member class was called the connection class. So I get it, I understand that. But the problem is that many of us have made connection the end game rather than the starting line. You see, connection may be the first stone on the pathway to spiritual maturity, but it's not the point of discipleship. Christ-likeness is the point of discipleship. We want people to live like, to look like, 
to speak like, to walk like Jesus, not just connect. So if we're trying to get them into your Sunday school class or your life group or your small group or your D group, and we get them in there, and then when they connect, we, we say that's the win. That can be a win, but it's not the win. Moving them towards Christ's likeness is the win. Now, I want you to consider several things as we work through this stream. And first, understand that we have crippled too many new believers by leaving them to feed themselves once they become a believer. Now, listen, we wouldn't do that in our family with our, our kids, our newborn, and just kind of leave them to feed themselves, to find their way through this world. Why are we doing that in the church? When people come to know Jesus as Savior, we've got to figure out a mechanism, a pathway, a strategy to connect them with a more mature believer, to help them to learn the ways of God, the spiritual disciplines of being in the Word, to be a person of prayer, um, all of the things that we would want them to learn. It does not come naturally. We have to have some strategic way to get them engaged there. Now, when we are teaching these new believers the Word of God, I want to encourage you to use something here. Uh, I call it the meat of the gospel, teaching the meat of the gospel. This is something that I teach when I speak at the seminary uh, in our CE classes, and, and it stands for this. The M stands for motivation, then it's examination, application, and takeaway. Now, for many of you who grew up in the typical Baptist church like I did, We'll, we'll remember motivation, examination, and application, because that's not new. That's really what we've focused on and done most of my whole life. Now, as I have taught over the last several decades, I had felt like, man, something was just missing when I would teach, you know, because people would walk away and say, oh, Brother Scott, thanks for, for teaching. Man, that was a good word. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by this. So let's take Philippians 4.13, for example, right? So I played college in some semi-pro basketball. And what I would do is I would step up to the free throw line when I was going to shoot, and I would quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, which, by the way, is a terrible interpretation of that scripture because it was very self-serving for me. You know, I was quoting it in hopes that God would help me make the free throw, okay? So let's just throw that aside for a, for a second. But I would use it, and it was my application. So I'd be, let's say I'm teaching a group of teenagers, and we're working through this passage, and I would talk about how I would do that, and and how I would, um, and maybe in motivation, when they walk in the class that morning, I'd have a basketball. So right, the team I play for in semi-pro ball was called Spirit Express, and we had a guy on there from the Globetrotters, we had a guy from Ole Miss that was playing with us. I mean, we had great players uh, from all over the nation, all over the world playing with us. And they all signed this basketball. So I'd set it on the table and they'd come in and they'd be listening. I'd be telling them stories, how I dunked on a guy and talked about his mama. And well, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but, but, but I would tell them these stories, man. And they're just excited about, oh man, brother Scott did this. Well, listen, they, that would be motivating for them. And then we'd get in the Philippians 4.13 where we would examine the scripture and we talk about what the author meant when he wrote it, because it can't mean something different than what the original author wrote. And then you get to the application. And I would tell them how when I would step to the free throw line, I never missed a free throw on the back half of a basketball game in the most critical points when you're, uh, when I would shoot a technical foul shot or in overtime, I never missed a free throw during those times. And I was over a 90% free throw shooter. And the biggest difference in high school, I shot like 67%. And in college, I shot over 90%. And the biggest difference is when I began to quote that verse and just trust the Lord um, with the with the outcome there. Listen, 
they may go home and tell their parents, oh, you wouldn't believe this story. Pastor Scott, you know, told us and he would dunk on a guy and here's a verse he would share, right? Here's, here's the problem. That's my application of that verse. And they're excited about my application of that verse. And I began to think over a period of time, man, what's your takeaway? Based on what we've studied today in the word of God, what is your takeaway? What is something you're going to do today that's going to make a difference in your life based on what you read, what you studied in God's word today? See, friends, so let me just encourage you. We're, this idea of teach it's more than just teaching on Sunday. It's more than just teaching for information. It's teaching for transformation. And this, this meet method can help you teach what I call next level. Well, where it'll help you uh, get that into your students' mind and their heart, but it will also give you something when they talk about their takeaway, when they leave your class, it gives you something to follow up the next week of something they said they were going to do during the week and you know, but it's also a second level engagement with your student that's uh, your group member there. Now, when we talk about transformation as, as an end goal, understand this as well, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You probably have heard that before. It's not a new phrase, but this speaks to the relational environment with which we have to teach. I've said it many times, we cannot just teach a lesson on Sunday and not do life with people during the week. You know what my favorite time in seminary was? Man, the classes were great. I remember listening to Alan Jackson, who's now the pastor over at Dunwoody. I remember hearing him teach when I was first in seminary, going through master's work, and I was just enthralled. I was hearing things that were so new and they were so fresh, and my heart was just on fire for the Lord. But you know, as good as that was, that wasn't my best part. The best part of seminary for me were the Waffle House visits with Alan Jackson, Randy Stone, Jody Dean, when I would begin to unpack with them at 6.30 in the morning before class of things they said. But it also, I'd be able to share struggles that I was having. Now listen closely. This relational engagement with those seminary professors allowed me to trust who they were, which impacted my ability to accept what they taught. And it's the same thing for you in your context, in your church. You need that relational engagement so that people will trust more who you are. And that will help to impact their ability to accept what you are teaching. Now, we have to teach for transformation. Christ-likeness is our goal. We're teaching uh, does not just happen in a church, in a pew, in a seat. Uh, on Sunday morning. It can happen every day as you engage and as you care for people in your church and in your family. Now, I want to bring on uh, Mike Taylor. I affectionately call Mike Tiny because I think Mike is like six foot nine and uh, the biggest person I've ever met. So Mike, if you'll join me now, I believe you got a few questions here and we're going to, I want to Q&A some of this to dig a little deeper into this concept. Hey, Scott, good to be with you today. I, I just you know, if you guys are making comments today online, uh, think about some, uh, maybe you guys want to just do a little one-on-one -on -one with Scott and, and maybe we could just get a little one-on-one -on -one tournament going and we'll just see how far Scott gets to go with that. But you know, you, you just mentioned something, Scott, right there at the end and I, you just caught my ear. Uh, and that was the fact that, uh, you got to teach past the building. You got to teach past the room on Sunday or Thursday night or wherever you might be doing your group. 
we'll get into some tangible ways that that can really happen. Uh, well, think for of, hey, for the yeah, teacher. Like, so think about this Deuteronomy six, okay, which has the the Shema in it, right? Which is the the most important Hebrew text for the Jewish people. And it says uh, in, in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, with all your strength. And these words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them. Sit When you sit at your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them symbol on your forehead and put them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And when I read that, I think it's clear that, that even in the Old Testament, they didn't just teach in the synagogue. There wasn't a singular place where they taught what they believed to be God's word and, and tried to impact their, their mind and their heart. They were teaching everywhere. It was who they were. It infiltrated every aspect of their life. Now, in our context, man, I've been hearing some things around where people are, are doing this. Now, now, let me just be clear, Mike. Man, I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach on Sunday morning. I think if you've got that church that has a worship service and you've got Bible study on Sunday morning, praise the Lord for that. Matter of fact, we joined a church that has that. So, so my family does that every Sunday. I'm a fan of that, okay? What I'm saying is it doesn't have to just be on Sunday morning. There's one church that has uh, all their teenagers go to Popeye's on Tuesday morning at 6.45, and for 30 minutes, they get a biscuit and they get a drink where the church has worked something out with the ownership, and they do Bible study on Tuesday morning. Well, that youth pastor has increased relational engagement a thousand percent. And now his Wednesday night engagement is bigger and broader because of what he's doing on Tuesday morning. Here's another example. Um, talked to one church that they were so frustrated with, frustrated with the tournament ball. And Mike, you know this in, in our churches, man. You know, when you hit that spring through end of July, we pretty much lose some of our families that are playing state tournament baseball or whatever. But he just, you know, and I, I kind of agree with him. He said, you know what, instead of fighting that, like we have for decades, we just decided instead of fighting it, why don't we equip those guys who've already made a decision? They're not going to come to our church building on a Sunday. They're going to be in this tournament. Why not equip those players to do a Bible study with the team and give the gospel every Sunday morning before they go to that tournament? And I was like, what an incredible concept. Church does not just have to happen. Giving the gospel does not just have to happen on Sunday morning in a pew in that building. Think about parents. I do devotion with my boys probably five nights a week, right? Incredible engagement. Before they go to bed, having God's word in their heart, me um, praying life into them before they go to sleep. Matter of fact, probably once or twice during the week, I'll take them to school on my way to work. And we're, we'll have a scripture that we talk about and we, we dig it into it and we um, talk about concepts and their takeaway before they go into class that they've had a teaching, a session before. So there's all kind of ways to do that. Now, what I would like to hear, Mike, because that's just a few, but I guarantee you there are people who are watching, listening right now that would say, here's something we're doing. So if you are listening right now, let us know maybe a creative way that you're getting the gospel to people that may not that may be in addition to what you're doing on Sunday morning. Now, Mike, I believe you got a second question there. You're muted, Bub. Okay. You, um, you know, Scott, one of the things that um, um, 
I've experienced in several churches and have been in classes like this is I've sat in a class and there the teacher is really good and the discussion is really good in the room. And they're talking about lots of different aspects, the historical aspects of the scripture, all those kinds of things. And people are very intrigued with the scripture, but they leave intrigued, but not with life change. And the gap uh, from, from learning and growing intellectually to learning and growing in Christ likeness seems to get wider and wider in those groups. And see, these are some of the most popular groups in our church. Uh, and uh, people love those teachers and love those situations. What are some um, ways we can maybe build in some accountability and, and do those kinds of things to help that happen and to kind of make that a more seamless process? Yeah, so the, the teaching experience, it needs accountability and it needs follow-up. So we've got to find a way to get that into our teaching experience. Now, um, hear me clearly. I think that genuine disciple makers build pipelines not platforms. So what we're doing when we're teaching, we want to think in terms of raising up leaders, investing in people, instead of which happens sometimes is we're, we're building our platform when we teach. And Mike, the temptation that we all face as leaders, pastors, ministers of education, discipleship, whatever layer you are in the church, Sunday school teacher, that temptation we all face is the desire to be appreciated or valued or needed, but it's really not about my platform. It's not about my name and people saying, man, Scott really taught a great lesson today. And it's so encouraging when they say that, but it's really about Jesus. It's really about raising up disciples to become disciple makers and pointing them towards Jesus to act like him, to talk like him, to live like him, and then replicate that experience. And that's why I'm, when I shared earlier about the, the, the meat of the gospel, that motivation, examination, application, and the takeaway, that's why when I shared about that, um, that's a relational teaching method. It's not just giving them the gospel. It's loving people. It's, it's giving them the gospel. Let's see if I can give you an example here, Mike. There's a lady in my church. I, I, I taught one Sunday and, and she came to me and she said, Scott, I just got to tell you, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't hardly slept since you taught that lesson. And you made that comment that we all need a 2 a.m. friend. Now, listen, she's about 80 years old um, with our senior adults. And I was just caught back. I said, well, now tell me what's going on. I want to hear more about this. You know, if it's kept her up all night, right? Well, she said, listen, when you, when you talked about that 2 a.m. friend and, and how the best teaching involves doing life together, that's more than just on Sunday morning. She said, I just hadn't been able to sleep. She said, in my class, I've been in there 35 years. And she said, brother Scott, I'm not kidding you. When I tell you, we got the best teachers on the planet like the best Bible teachers you've ever heard. And every Sunday when we leave, we look each other in the eye, we hug that neck and we say, honey, if you need me, you call me this week. And I'll never forget what she said. She said in 35 years, brother Scott, no one's ever called. We teach a lesson on Sunday morning. We love each other, but we don't talk and we don't interact during the week. And she said, that's going to change in my life group starting this Sunday. Man, I'm just telling you, my heart exploded. I was fired up because this 80-year-old lady caught 
that it is a relational engagement that's more gospel impact. You know, Scott, that's, and that kind of leads into that my next question and what we want to talk about there. And you said, you know, you said in the, um, in the uh, watershed uh, booklet, it says people don't care how much you know until you know how much that you care. Um, what are you, what are you talking about there? I think that lady kind of gave you that impression of this. She realized what it meant to care. So could you uh, expound on that a little bit? It is, Mike. It's so important. Listen, the larger we grow, the smaller we must become. I've said that for decades in your church. We, you know, sometimes our goal is to grow a really large church. And I would even say, if you're making disciples, I think a natural process or, or fruit that can come from making disciples is that your church um, may grow numerically. Okay, that's a natural consequence of it. When it does, the larger it gets, the smaller it's got to get. These care groups, Mike, and I want you to say something just a second about maybe help us understand what these care groups are, but the care groups or these ministry teams. So, so let's say you've got a, a class, life group, Sunday school class or whatever, and it's, you know, you've got 10, 12, 15. Uh, I'm not against the groups that have 15 to 20 or 25 in there, but the larger you get, you've got to find a way to break those bigger group into smaller groups so that you can care for one another. Because if you don't, Mike, you know this, if we don't have that relational engagement in those smaller groups, people are going to fall through the cracks. They're not going to be cared for. And when life falls apart, that's when they fade away. So Mike, help us out. Give us a, maybe a definition or a purpose of what these care groups, um, how that can help the, in those Sunday school classes. Yes, Scott, I think just a couple of things there about care groups. One thing is, is just the knowledge I, I, of, of knowing the needs. Uh, I, uh, I read somewhere a few years back uh, about the fact that a teacher or any individual can only know so many people intimately in their lives. And uh, we're not a teacher that's got like 12, 15, 30 people, however many, can't know everything about all those people. So, so that's why you have a smaller group. And that smaller group is so that they can check on each other and love on each other and have that knowledge so we can actually do this kind of ministry uh, with folks uh, along the way and help the teacher to know and help the pastor to know what those needs, those needs might be. They're the closest ones doing ministry in the church. And it looks differently, I think, for a senior adult class or an older ladies class. Maybe they just check on each other all the time. It's almost a natural part of how they function anyway. But a younger adult class it may be that they're texting and that they're checking on each other with a text every day, just saying, how's it going today? Praying for you today. How'd that visit to the doctor go today? And they're checking on each other, and, you know, just all through the week uh, and ministering to one another that way. So just however it looks for that particular age group and how that works can be different. But the important thing is, is that we're doing it and that we have the knowledge and we're doing the ministry. And really, Mike, <clears throat> let's close that with this thought. It's you got to care for the group. But one thing that you and I have talked about here recently is is not even just caring for the group, but we got to help those group members learn to lead and serve at some level in the group and in the, the church. And I just want to close with this thought because there's a tension as we get people to serve and we say, hey, you got to use your giftedness to serve in the church. Sometimes uh, we can we can brand that so heavily 
that you have a new group and it's got 10 people in it and then maybe six of them leave and you're left with a group that was just devastated. Well, that can happen. We've got to guard our churches and, and really uh, fill in the gap between people serving and keeping our groups healthy. I have a concept that I would always tell our team, whether they were paid staff or they were volunteers who were helping develop this. And I would just tell them, listen, we're not going to kill a group to start a group and then say it's a win. It just doesn't help things. I'm not going to kill a group to start a group and then call it a win. So that we say, oh, praise the Lord, we started a group. All right. Well, listen, we want to protect the groups we have, teach them to multiply so that we can still have a healthy group. But look, Mike, another thing that you mentioned I thought was gold is that God almost always replicates new people, brings new people into those groups. So if you've got a group of 12 and say three of those leave to go launch a new group, Almost, I've never, matter of fact, I don't, I, I think one time in the last two decades have I seen a group that didn't go well after say three or four went and started a new group. And that was because the group was sick in the first place. Listen, there's a supernatural process. God will take care of the group. And I can't overemphasize how important it is. Teach them to lead, teach them to serve. And then you've got to use that language of getting them to multiply that out. There's a Lego principle that, that simply says this that people in your groups, they've only got so many connectors, right? So when you put Legos connect together, once that top piece is all connected out, that Lego can't connect to anything else. And it doesn't make the Lego bad, it's just full. And that's the way our people are in our groups. When we teach, we wanna teach for transformation, but we also wanna teach for multiplication because that's the only way we're gonna reach the world is to multiply these groups out. And, and listen, let me just throw a little side note in here as well. I believe that every ministry ought to have somebody managing or overseeing that discipleship of the church. Had a conversation, Mike, yesterday with a pastor down in South Georgia, and he said, I'm, I'm fixing to hire somebody, um, even if it's just part time or, or maybe it's just raising up a lay leader to oversee what we're doing in our church, because the pastor can do it for a period of time. But what we're finding is over a long period of time, the pastor's not the best person to oversee that process. They've got too much going on. They are the equippers. They cannot be the doer of everything that we do. So Mike Taylor, thanks for jumping on today. Thank you for guiding our discussion. Thank you for the blog that you've written. We'll be dropping that into the comments as well. And uh, just a reminder, if you're viewing, if you are engaging today, we have consultants living in all regions of Georgia that would love to engage help you work through this, help you become a better teacher, set up better groups, and set up a, an incredible disciple-making process. So just let us know. You can go to gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And if you have not taken the church assessment tool, we've got an online assessment tool on our front page, gabaptist.org. Just go to church assessment tool, click that, fill it out, and we will um, respond in the next 48 hours to help you find your biggest areas of potential growth in your church. So Mike Taylor, Tiny West, uh, you are now our Northwest uh, consultant. Thank you for being on here with us today. Uh, thank you to our producer, PJ Dunn. And if you are engaging with us, make sure to leave a comment because we are giving free swag away and we want your name to be entered into that. And friends, thank you for engaging with us. And my prayer for you is that you will reinvest the gospel seed that was shared with you as we all make world impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast. 
and we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. That's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. This five page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you. It will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship. The number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries. Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five, discipleshipshifts.com. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers.